Heidi Baker had a vision. In 1980, she and Roland got married and they moved to Asia and were missionaries in Asia for 12 years. And 12 years, they, they moved to England and she got a PhD in theology at King's College. And then Heidi Baker had a vision. Let me read to you what she says. I saw the wedding feast of the lamb. There, was a huge, there were huge long tables laid out with the most beautiful food I have ever seen. I heard the Lord say, wake up, church, wake up, church. The feast is about to begin. The poor have not yet been called, and my house is not yet full. I want my house to be full. And then I saw the Lord Jesus dance on the garbage dump, and I was with him. As he called, the children and the youth began to follow and dance with us. Together, Jesus and I would stop and touch them. Their bloated bellies would become flat and their infected wounds healed. Their hair turned brown by malnutrition would become black and shiny. He put beautiful garments of purple, blue, gold, and silver on them. He led them out of the dump and into the wedding feast and said, you sit in front, and the hungry children from the garbage dump sat at the head of the table. I've worked in the garbage dump ever since, Heidi says, and many hundreds of children and youth have met the Lord and are being fed physical and spiritual bread. In 1980, they began this journey together, and then they stopped after 12 years, went to school, and in 1995, Heidi Baker had this vision, and she and Roland and their kids moved to Mozambique, which at the time was the poorest country in Africa, and started this mission. They call it Iris Global, and they went to the country uh, of Mozambique and they asked them if they could take over one of the government-run orphanages in the poorest part on a, uh, on a garbage heap and a dump site uh, in, Mo in Mozambique. And the government allowed them to do that and they started that in 1995. And since then, uh, they have been digging wells, they've been caring for the poor and the sick, they've been uh, talking to people about Jesus, and 5,000 churches have been planted out of the work of Iris Global in Mozambique. God gave her a vision. And what we want to talk about this morning is what happens when God gives us a vision. How does God give us a vision? Because most of the time we don't think about that. We, we kind of think about getting through the week, don't we? We sort of think about, oh man, it's Monday and I gotta survive to Friday, right? Uh, we, we think about how we're just gonna get through the stuff that, that we're involved with. And we don't really think about vision. We don't really think about great things. But at this morning, I think the Lord wants to challenge us to consider his vision, to consider what he would have us to do, uh, what he wants our lives to look like. And so we're gonna do that. And we're gonna look at a gospel account out of Luke, the 10th chapter. And it's a really important story for us so if you would join me, we're going to start in Luke 10 and just look at the very first verse. It says this, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him 
two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. Uh, So here's what we have in the very beginning. It says, after this, so the question is, what is it after? What does that mean, after this? And and to understand that, you'd have to read Luke chapter 9, uh, just before this, because in Luke 9, the very first thing that happens is that Jesus sends out his disciples. He sends out the 12 and he gives them a message and he says, I want you to go out and I want you to proclaim that the kingdom of God is near and I want you to t- uh, share the gospel. I want you to go out and, and pray over people. I want you to be my ambassadors and go out. And then he talks about what it's like to be a follower of Jesus. He makes even a statement that it says that foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of God has no place to lay his head. That, that Jesus is saying that it costs you everything to be his follower, but yet he commands us to go. He sent his disciples out, and now it says after this, he appointed 72. And that's sort of an interesting number, but here's what's important about it. It says that he appointed 72 others. This didn't include the 12 disciples. This didn't include the the original apostles, but he appointed 72 others. And one of the really important things about this is that we don't know their names. There are 72 unnamed followers of Jesus that he gave an assignment to, that he gave a mission to, and, and sent them out. And so they are called to go out. We don't know who they are, and I think the reason is that God was really intentional about that is because he wants us to put our names in there. We don't know their names because God wants us to consider, what if my name is in there? What if God wants to send me? What if God has a vision for me, a mission for me, and he wants to send me out to be part of this? He sends them out two by two, and that's kind of important. He doesn't send us out alone. He doesn't say you're a lone ranger. He doesn't say you have to do this by yourself. But, but in, a, in a very real biblical context, in, in Deuteronomy, the 17th chapter, and also in the 19th, cha- uh, 19th chapter, it, it says that when you're going to, Uh, witness in a court of law, you always have to take somebody else with you. You always go in twos, so there's a cooperating witness there with you. Somebody to help you remember the story, somebody to keep you straight, somebody to corroborate your testimony, what you're saying. And so Jesus says here that I'm going to send you out in twos. I'm going to send them out in pairs. And then he makes this really interesting statement. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way, and behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Okay, the first part of this is really good. The second part, not so much, right? But the first thing he says is, and I called out 72. Oh, and and 72 is interesting because if you go to Genesis 10, Uh, they talk about the nations of the world at that time and they list them and there's 72 nations. Jesus is saying, I'm gonna send you to the whole world, to every nation of the world, to every place. And then he says, I want you to pray to the Lord of the harvest because the harvest is plentiful. The issue is never about the harvest field, right? 
we kind of think people are disinterested. We think people are uh, critical. We think people are spiteful. We don't think people would be interested in hearing about Jesus. And Jesus says, that's not the issue. The harvest is plentiful. The need is great. And there's probably never been a greater need in the history of the world than right now uh, where we live and when we're living. And Jesus says that the harvest is plentiful. That's not the issue. The problem is always with laborers. The problem is always with people who are willing to go go out. You see, the Bible always talks about Jesus inviting us in, right, so that he can send us out. And here he is sending out the 72, and he is giving them a mission, and the very first thing is to pray. (laughs) And then Jesus says, I want you to pray for laborers, and oh, by the way, you're part of the answer to that prayer. I'm sending you out into a world that desperately needs to hear about my love and a world that desperately needs to know about me. I'm sending you out into that harvest field. And he said, and you're gonna go like lambs to the wolves. That's the hard part, right? Uh, because that's never a great matchup. Lambs versus wolves. You're pretty much gonna bet on the wolves every time, right? But here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that I want you to go out and understand that without me, without the shepherd, you're helpless. Without the shepherd, you don't have a chance that you need to go and completely depend on me for what's gonna happen. Depend on me for the results. Trust me for what's gonna happen through this. I'm gonna send you and I want you to go with complete trust in that I will provide for you, that I'll be your strength, that I'll be your protection. So he says, I'm sending you out like lambs against the wolves. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. I'm sending you out. The idea of sent, the word sent uh, in the Greek is apostello, and it literally means to to send, and we get the the word apostle. The word apostle means to send, but also in the Latin, uh, that word means missum, and we get the, uh, that word is pronounced missum, and we get the word mission from that. So he is saying that I am sending you out on a mission. It's, It's a mission from God. Sounds like a little bit the Blues Brothers, doesn't it? Okay, some of you don't remember that and it really offends me. (laughs) But he says, I'm sending you on a mission. it's, It's a mission from God. It's a mission that I've prepared for you. It's a mission that I'm trusting you with. It's a mission that I'm gonna empower you to accomplish. And so he is sending them out. He has called them in like Abraham and Moses and Isaiah. He has called them in so that he can send them out. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's a great reminder that God has prepared this work for us, that God has equipped us for the work, that that's his responsibility. That's what he promises us that he will do. And uh, Jesus is going to follow up this story. He's going to follow up this command, this mission in Luke 2 with a parable of the Good Samaritan that he's going to tell them to go. And then he said, I'm going to give you a picture of what this is like. He, he, said, There's this, he said, picture this, that there was a man one time and he's on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem and he's waylaid um, 
by robbers and they beat him and they leave him half dead on the side of the road. And a, a Levite, one of the religious leaders, walks by and he crosses to the other side uh, so that he, he's too busy. He doesn't have time. He's not going to help him. He goes on his way. And then a, a priest comes by, someone who works in the temple, and, and he sees him and he goes to the other side of the road and he continues to walk. But then a Samaritan comes and Samaritans were despised by the Jews, but the Samaritan stops and, and he bathes his wounds and he cares for the man and he puts him on his donkey and takes him to an inn and he tells the innkeeper, I want you to watch him, I want you to care for him and whatever it costs, I'll pay you when I come back through and he meets that man's needs and that's the picture that Jesus gives when we are sent out by him. He said, we're like people who pay attention. We're like people who have time to stop and to care for somebody that's hurting, care for somebody that's sick, care for somebody that's in need, that, that we're willing to pay attention to the needs around us. We're aware of what people are feeling and what's going on in people's lives around us and we stop for them. We're sent out to care for people. We're sent out to go in the name of Jesus and to bind the wounds of people who are hurting, to, to proclaim the good news that the kingdom of God is near, to be present in people's lives during tough times that they experience. Well, he continues in um, his, the mission in verse four, he says this, and carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, uh, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Wherever, whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to your feet, we wipe off you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you that it'll be more bearable on the day, on that day for Sodom than it is for this town, for that town. So here's what he says. He says that when we are sent out, when, when the people of Jesus, when the Jesus followers are sent out, that we are peace bringers that the very first thing that we bring, we don't, he doesn't start with you're gonna bring answers, you're gonna wow them with your rhetoric, you're gonna amaze them with how you can refute every argument that they have, but he says when, when the peacemakers, when, when the people of Christ come, we will bring peace with us and that peace will rest on this house. Have you ever thought about that? That someone invites you into their home, someone invites you over, and when you come into that house, you bring the peace of Christ with you. The peace of Christ that lives in you enters into their home. That you are peace bringers. That, that Christ lives in you. In John 14, verse 27, Jesus says, my peace I leave with you. Not the peace that the world gives, but my peace I leave. And we take that peace, we take the peace of Christ with us wherever we go. And when we enter into a home, we are peace bringers. And if that peace is received by the folks in that house, then it stays there with them. It rests on that house. That's amazing, isn't it? I don't know if you ever thought about being a peace bringer that when you walk into somebody's home, you bring the peace of Christ with you. 
I don't think we give ourselves enough credit sometimes because Jesus lives in us. The Prince of Peace lives in us and we take him with us wherever we go and when we enter into a place, the peace of Christ comes with us and I think we should be aware that we are peace bringers. We're peace carriers and we take the peace of Christ with us wherever we go. That's part of our mission. And then he makes an interesting statement. He says, he kind of teaches us about reverse hospitality. Think about this, because we, we all talk about having people into our homes and entertaining them and caring for them and being hospitable, but here Jesus is saying, hey, when you enter somebody's home, I want you to have hospitality toward them. I want you to be hospital, hospitable when you go into someone else's house. And so he says, here's a couple of things that we do. One, be gracious. Eat whatever they put before you. Just be gracious in their home. And if they mess it up, that's okay because the point is you have brought peace into this house. You are, you are representing Jesus. You are on a mission from him and he's calling us to be people of hospitality. And then he's telling them as you go out, your job isn't to sort of go from house to house and try to get a better deal wherever you go and try to sort of upgrade you know, wherever you go and get better meals and better beds and better places. But he's saying you go where I send you and when you go into that house, you stay there and you take whatever you have. I, I went one time to uh, I, um, Canaan in the desert. I love to go and go to the prayer uh, garden at Canaan in the desert, 40th Street and Shea. There's a group of Lutheran sisters, um, and, um, and so one time I went to them, and I said, you know, I'm gonna be speaking at this deal, and I, and I really would ask you guys to pray for me while I'm away and, and uh, talking, and this, one of the sisters said to me, she said, you know, um, we'll pray for you, but you're exhausted. And here's what we want you to do. We want you to come and stay a couple of nights and just get rested before you go. So worked it out with Jenna. I went and stayed a couple of nights at the Canaan in the desert in this little, you know, tiny room and, and uh, just had time of quiet and rest and they prayed uh, for me. But I had dinner with them one night and uh, we sit at the table and, and they put the food on the table and right in the middle of the table is this big bowl of popcorn. And, you know, it wasn't dessert. It was like, one of the main courses. And, and I just, you know, I'm dumb enough to ask about it. And, and they said, this is what the Lord provided this week. And we are grateful for it. And they gave thanks. And we had popcorn as part of our, our meal. You know, the popcorn from one of those big bags? That was part of our dinner. And, and I, just, I just saw their gratefulness and their kindness about this is what the Lord provided and this is what we eat. And I've always carried that picture with me when it comes to this passage that whatever they put before you, we eat with graciousness and hospitality because it's provided from the Lord. And that's what he calls us to be. He calls us to, that even when we're in someone else's home that we are hospitable, that, that we're gracious and that he brings peace through that. So we're peace bringers and we're hospitable. And then he gives us sort of this other idea that, that we heal the sick when we're in their house, that we care uh, for those who are in need. We care for those who are sick. Uh, whatever we can do, we pray for them. We care for them. We, uh, we work to meet their needs, to support them. Uh, you know, we do whatever we can in the name of Jesus to come alongside people, just like the Good Samaritan does a few verses later. We come alongside people. And, and the last thing is that the message, the message is so interesting. It says that I want you to tell them whether they receive you or whether they don't receive you that the kingdom of God is near. 
that Christ has come, that the kingdom of God is near. And Jesus said, I'm going to go to all those places and I want them prepared. I want them ready. And I want you to proclaim that the kingdom of God is near so that when I come, they're ready to hear. And I, I, I love this because sometimes we think, we get all worked up about you know, things and we think that it's all about us. We think that we're supposed to have all the answers. We're supposed to have the message. And, and we, we get sort of depressed if we try to do something good and people don't respond uh, the way that we think that they, you know, that they should and all of those things. And so here's what the, the Lord teaches us in 1 Corinthians and uh, in, in actually in 1 Corinthians, the third chapter, the seventh verse, he says this, it's neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. Neither he who plants or he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth, that it's still about him, that he calls us at some times to be the planters. He calls us sometimes to be the one that comes and waters, but it's his responsibility. He gives the growth. He's really good at that part of it. I'm not the one. I, I, don't, I don't know how to make people Christians, but I do know how to bring them to Christ. I do know how to share with them the love of Jesus. I try to allow Jesus to live through my life so that they might see him, and then he's really good at changing their lives. God gives the growth. He promises us that. Well, here's, here's another. I have a graphic for you up here, and it's kind of an interesting graphic And uh, uh, that there are dots on this graphic, and uh, sometimes if you look at the whole graph, you can see one or two or three. Sometimes you see all of them. There are 12 total um, in this picture, um, but it's an optical illusion, and it reminds us that we all have blind spots, that none of us see everything. And, and frankly, if we were to take a poll, you're probably, most of you are seeing different numbers, that we all see different parts uh, of it, and that we're being reminded that we all have blind spots, that we all need each other, that we all need support, that nobody completely has this down. I know I will take it off, it's probably driving you crazy, but but we all have blind spots. And so we, we need each other. We constantly need to be reminded of how much God loves us and how big he is and that he sends us out together and that he calls us to, to something that's bigger than we can imagine, but yet he promises to be with us. He promises to be our strength, um, to be our guide. And then he continues in verse 17 with this. It says, the sev- when the 72 returned with joy, the, the, the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. This is awesome. There, you know, all, there's exclamation points throughout all this. In verse 18, he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on servant, serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. It's a really powerful idea uh, that, that, that the, the 72 come back and they said, wow, this worked. We went in your name and it worked and all kinds of crazy things happened and wonderful things happened and people that, were, that had horrible spiritual needs were released and they were cared for and, and touched and the gospel went out and people were impressed and people responded and it was so awesome that, that this happened and Jesus said, yeah, that's good, but let me tell you where your blind spot is. I see things that you don't see. I saw the heavenlies. I saw the spiritual realm. While you were out doing that, I saw Satan fall from heaven. I 
I saw that there's a great cosmic battle going on and when God's people are at work, when God's people are going out, there are other things that are happening that you can't see, that there's a, a spiritual battle that's going on that we don't even know about, but God is at work. Whether we can see it or not, God is at work in the world and he wants to remind us of that, that, that he never stops but he calls us to do our part and then he says, but there are other things going on and he says, don't, don't get all excited about those things. Those are great things that you saw happen but here's where it all begins. Here's where we really rejoice is that our name is written in heaven. It, what he says is that, you know what the really good news is? The really good news is that you belong to Jesus. The really good news is that you've been saved for eternity. The really good news is that you have life in him. And it's as a result of that, it's a byproduct of that, that we go out in the name of Jesus into the world. We don't start there. We start with the fact that Christ has changed us, that Christ has come into our life, that he's brought his peace and his forgiveness. He's made us a new creation. He's given us a new identity. And now he sends us into the world. But he says the reason that we go is because of him and because our name is written in heaven, that we belong to him. It's just not about me. I get that confused a lot. It's about him. It's about what Christ has done in my life. It's about how Jesus turned my life upside down. And when he began to heal my life and change my life, I just didn't, I couldn't hold it in. I didn't want to hold it in. I wanted to be his ambassador. I wanted to bring his peace. I wanted people to experience what I had experienced in Christ. That's what he calls us to. And the good news is, see, our identity is not tied up in our effectiveness at doing this. Our identity is in who we are in Christ. We talk about this all the time. It's not what we do, but it's who we are in Jesus. It's how he's changed our lives. In ancient times, one of the great marks of a person in the towns that, that uh, they lived in was when their name was on the town roll. Uh, to have your name and your lineage written in the town roll, it gave you, it gave you identity, it gave you um, a solid place, it gave you a foundation uh, for your life. It was a really big deal. So when Caesar Augustus decided that everyone should go back to their home of lineage and be recorded for tax purposes, they all had to go back to their hometown where their names were written down, where their lineage was uncovered. They were reminded who they belonged to. And it was a big deal. And Jesus says, I want you to understand that first and foremost, your name is written in heaven. That you belong to the kingdom. That you belong to Christ. And people who rejoice in their popularity and their power and their influence become manipulative. Uh, they can't handle rejection. But when our identity is in Christ, uh, when we rejoice that our name is written in heaven, we don't rejoice in that what we've accomplished, but we rejoice in who we are in Christ. And so when we go out, our identity is not based on how people respond, but it's already settled on who Christ has made us, who Christ has called us to be. And we experience peace in our lives as a result of that. So here's a question. What's your vision for 2017? How does Christ want you to live? How does, what does he want you to do this year? Where is Jesus going to send you? What is that going to look like for you this year? Do you have a vision that's big enough for Jesus? Do you, do you honestly believe that, that Jesus wants to send you? 
Because I want you to understand that the church is the only real hope for the world. We've already settled that with politics and all the other institutions that we have. And we need to understand that God has called his church to go and that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And what is the vision that he's called us to? What is it that Jesus wants you to do this year? How does he want you to live your life? What's that going to look like? How is he gonna make your life matter for his kingdom? Who is it that needs to hear about Jesus through you, through your life? You don't go alone. We're not created or intended to go alone. We go together. We serve together. We go in the name of Jesus. We're his representatives. We're a a picture of Jesus in humility to the world that we understand that it's about him and it's through him. We bring the peace of Christ. We bring the gospel of peace. We, the church, We know the story of salvation. We know the story of healing. We know the story of deliverance. Uh, We know all of those things. And now, in a couple of weeks, we're gonna start a little series. We're gonna talk about the life of Jesus through the gospel of Mark. And it would be a great opportunity for you to bring somebody that just needs to hear about Jesus, that needs to hear the stories of who he is and how much he loves us and what it means to become a follower of him. And so we're gonna give you an opportunity to really pray about that harvest and how God would send you and, and, how he, and who he would want you to bring so that they can hear about Jesus. And experience his peace in their lives and begin to understand what it means to belong to him, to be in his kingdom. And we're gonna be able to do that together. So in that that context, I wanna just remind us of four things from Luke 10 this morning. And the first thing is to pray. There's an old saying that the first thing that prayer changes is the one who's praying, right? Right? First thing that prayer changes is the one who's praying. And so when we pray, Lord, send out laborers into the harvest, chances are the Lord's gonna say, oh yeah, and that's, that means you too. You're part of this. I'm sending you and I'm empowering you and I'm gonna strengthen you and I'm gonna give you opportunities and I'm gonna call you to pay attention to the person that's laying at the side of the road that everybody else is passing by and, and give you a chance to serve give you a chance to be a picture of Jesus to that person. And so we pray that the second thing that we're reminded of is that we are peace bringers, that we bring the peace of Christ with us. There, there, that in, in the first century, the early church, they used to see each other and, and they, would, they would greet each other with the peace of Christ be on you that that's how they would talk to each other because they understood that they were peace bringers, they were peace carriers, that wherever they went, they brought the peace of Christ with them and we carry the peace of Christ with us. The, the third thing is that it, we're called to be hospitable. Whether we invite somebody in or whether we're invited in, we take that same spirit of hospitality, that same graciousness with us, uh, whichever place. I, I always joke that, that there are people all over the country who will invite Jenna and I over to dinner because Jenna's gonna clean their kitchen, <laughs> right? <laughs> She's just gonna find stuff to do to help them. Me, I just get to go because they, you know, they don't wanna hurt my feelings, invite the two of us. But 
she has that gift of hospitality, whether we're at our house or whether we're at someone else's house. God's called us that kind of graciousness, that kind of hospitality. And the, the fourth thing is that we're called uh, to be a healer, uh, that we're called to bind wounds, we're called to care for the sick, we're called to care for the hurting, we're called to be available to people who are in need. We pray, we bring peace, we're hospitable, and we bring healing to those who need to experience Jesus. And we do it because our name is written in heaven. We do it because we've already experienced the peace that Christ brings. So what will your vision be like this year? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word, for how you use it to challenge us and encourage us and to grow us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would really speak to us through this passage this morning. What, what's the vision that you have for us, Lord? What is it that you would have us to do? And Lord, give us the strength to be faithful. Give us the strength to trust you. We'll give you the praise. Thanks, in Jesus' name, amen.